Today, we are discussing stepping into your power. Welcome to Power to the People Pleasers. My name is Amy Valentine, and I'm so excited to have my guest, Debbie Bryan, here today. Welcome, Debbie. I'm so excited to be here today, Amy. I just love it. I'm I'm excited for our conversation. I know that you have a, a TEDx coming up, and uh, this is wonderful. You are an incredible speaker. I, You're an incredible yeah, I mean, coach. The, the, the TEDx is just like uh, I, it's a pinch myself thing. When when they was they sent an email the other day just to book tickets for your guests, and I signed up, and I was, I was like, "This is really happening. This is literally is really happening. happening." So yeah, it's that mad for me. So awesome. So today we are discussing stepping into your power and you have so many things when we met briefly uh, to prepare for this uh, podcast recording. I I took so many notes about things that I wanted to to discuss with you today. But first, as always on our podcast here, I'd love to hear, have you ever been a people pleaser? And if yes, how did that show up in your life? Oh, absolutely. I've been a people pleaser. For a start, I'm a mom and a daughter. So, you know, right there, they're ticking two boxes there. Um, and in my family, it very much showed up as I'm the eldest. So I would be the person that everyone would come to to fix stuff or um, to not fix stuff or to give their emotional buckets of sick emotion to and then to hold it so it showed up like that for me first of all in my family but then it showed up in my business I took on a very empathetic and so what I tend to do is feel other people's pain so if they're you know whatever they're doing and however painful it is for them it's painful for me too but what I realized and and how I solved it I suppose really and how I solved it for my family and the others is I suddenly realized that they that people were coming to me with this let's just use the word bucket of emotional sick, which is quite a contentious thing, but it was, you know, they'd come over and then vomit this, oh, my life is X into this bucket and then hand it over. And I would hold that and they would walk away and I'd be left holding all these emotions and my fix it brain was going, Oh my God, what can I do to help and stuff? And actually they purged this thing out of their life or their business or, you know, and this includes my family, they purged and they walked away leaving all those emotions with me and to the point where they wouldn't really want to engage again in case they'd gone back so when I recognized that and it's only a couple of years ago that I actually recognized that in my life I was like okay this is not right because I was drowning in everybody else's emotions and feelings and and actually I was the last person I was absolutely the last person that mattered everybody else mattered more than me and I was, and I had it like a, I don't think we talked about this last time, but I had this meditation with somebody and I'm not very good at meditating and I don't really, I'm too fast. So I've tried to teach myself and I can do about 12 minutes now. Um, and then that's it. I even picked music, awesome. it was only 12 minutes, I know. Um, and I've learned that as the last year, but I was doing it with somebody and she just said, you know, close your eyes and put me into this scenario. And she said, what's the words that you, you know, there's a picture of you as a little girl and what's the words that you want to say? And I literally just came out with, I matter, I matter too. And it just came from this like real subconscious thing. And I think that was my first break in the eggshell, you know, of like this other person pecking their way out to go, actually, do you know what? I do matter. And I, I, I just matter. And it was so powerful that it made me look at everything very differently to go, you've not made yourself matter. You've not made yourself be the important one. You've spent so much of your life trying to help everybody else that you don't help yourself. Wow. 
so powerful. I think it's interesting because I'm sure we both run across a lot of people who are helpers that mm-hmm. that's their nature, right? And there's this funny, interesting link around people pleasing and being a helper. And it is beneficial. We need lots of helpers in the world. But would you agree that when a helper sees that they matter, they can come from a different place? Oh, 100%. You know, I I was just too close. I was too, even though I knew somebody told me years ago that, you know, you can, someone can share their problem with you, but you can't physically take that problem or that you can do is share it and that other person. So now people, two people have got a problem. And I knew that and I taught that, but I still didn't think I mattered enough to be the person who didn't take the problem. Wow. I didn't think that my my personal mindset, my personal value, everybody else was more important than me. And it just, <clears throat> it's a real game changer when you do realise. When I when I sat there afterwards and I was just like, wow. And obviously you have stuff that comes back from when you were a kid and, you know, I'm the eldest and I've got a sister. Um famously my parents were not married when they had me and this was in the 60s and still wanted to keep their lifestyle so they used to take me to the pub and put me behind the curtains on the window ledge to pretend that I wasn't there like go you know go back go back to childhood memories of do you matter or not man so I was invisible wow so that was the first thing they did they made me invisible Wow. So you're always going to take on everybody else's because how else would you matter? How would how else would you be recognized? How else would you be needed if you can't fix everybody else? Mm. That's kind of how I was. I was like, if I can fix everybody, then I'm important or I matter. Or And it, what I didn't ever try to do was recognize whether I needed fixing or not. Because I was like, if you're all right, then I'm all right. And that's real people pleasing because, um, you know, what do you do to make sure they're all right is – not necessarily what's best for you, but what's best for them. Mm-hmm. And I and I probably brought that into my work. You know, I would be, I would be the person who, you know, okay, well, we won't sleep for six months because we need to get this job done. But it'd be about somebody else's business. So then, when I fix their business, they'd be like, "Great, happy, thank you, bye, see ya." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't need I, you anymore. Sudden, you know, their business is scaling six, seven figures, and I'm like. Now I might have a job. What have I just done? You know, I've done, I've literally created a business where I was firing myself on a permanent basis and then going and finding new clients and finding new clients and finding new, and I was just like, I was getting exhausted. I was just like, all these other people. And so that wasn't a business model that meant I mattered, did it? It meant it was a business model that was for them. And they only valued me as much as I fixed. So when it was fixed, they didn't need me. Which is, a night, which is like the worst business model I could have ever taught anybody. I would never teach someone that. And why was I doing it? It's, it's madness, really. So I suppose when I got to that stage, probably 18 months ago, I keep thinking we're earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And I got to that stage 18 months ago and I walked away from, from my business. Wow. Um, and just cut what I was doing. I'd been in on holiday um, and I'd had loads of holidays. So I'd got, I got to the stage where um was earning the good money so you know as a coach everyone's like i want to be a 10k coach i want to be a 15k coach bang hit that milestone hit the next milestone so i'm doing this and i've got some really nice clients but they're very demanding i sold myself i didn't really mean to sell myself but they were really demanding and so what you find or i found i don't know if other people find the same is that to have that good income you have to work really hard 
because you're working really hard, you soothe yourself with all the treats, mm-hmm. like the holidays or the nice meals or splashing. I'm not particularly materialistic. I would be more about experiences. So, mm-hmm. you know, by June of last year, I was on my fourth holiday. Been to Ibiza on a yacht. I've been on a walking holiday. I was in Jamaica, and I and I craved, always craved a holiday forever. You know, that would be my um, my 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 hobby on a Sunday would be to like cook the dinner and look at holidays and peruse holidays. It would be by porn, if you like, but it would be a hobby, which is just constantly dreaming about this wow. nicer time. And and when I look back now, I realised that I was that I was soothing myself. I was saying, this can be really bad because I have these treats and they make it all better mm-hmm. as such. And so, um, and then I was in Jamaica and I had a client that was really demanding and I was doing their marketing and I had a marketing manager in Dubai, so it was available. But they'd already had two phone calls with me whilst I was in Jamaica, complaining, not very happy. And then I was sat in the hotel lobby at like nine o'clock one morning Um and always before, if I went on a different time zone, I was like, I'm not working. Just don't, you know. Yeah, it's too whatever. Yeah, if, if I'm on a retainer, don't pay me for that time. Just don't. I'm free. And I didn't. I made a mistake on this one because I got too far into this mm. people pleasing realistically. So I was like, yes, I'll be available. I can take a Zoom call. Now, the only place in the room, the grill, that you can get a reception really is in the lobby. Yeah. So I'm sat on my phone having this call with somebody in London and um, and there's people walking around with cocktails and breakfast and bikinis on and sashaying and dancing. And then and I've got this client that's like, oh, you're not even available enough. Wow. And I, like, wow. And I was just like, I can't believe you just said that. You know, this is a third court. I am here in Jamaica and I'm still talking to you. Yeah. And at that point, I just said, you know what, this is really not working for you and it's not working for me. So let's finish the contract. And, and the client just said, wow, well, if we're going to finish it, we'll finish it right now. And I was like, that suits me fine. And ended Amazing. the call. What a it good was pretty harsh She was a good payer. She was that was a very lucrative contract. And so, but yeah. at that point, everything broke. At that point, I just was like, "This can't. This is not my life." Yeah, you know, this cannot be my life. And and that's when I kind of started to shed everything mm. to go. This is not what I'm here for. You know, I've had the the near death experience. I'm still here. I'm on my second life. Yes, tell, um, us, tell me about that a little bit more. I know you you mentioned that you had a, an accident about 12 years ago, but can you tell me? Yeah, so 12, just coming up to 13 in January, actually, I had a car accident. So I had bought a car and it had broken down on the way home. Now, we'd already gone about 40 miles. It's quite far. And it was, mm-hmm. I don't know what you call it over there, but we call it an old banger. It was a cheapy, cheapy. Yeah. A jalopy, it's a, a jalopy. Yeah. yeah. So we call it a jalopy in, in the UK. My dad was in the car trade. And um, so it's just, it was a nothing car, like 700 quid, but we'd driven it home and it was fine. Um, and, and at the time we had this um, loan car of beautiful BMW that was brand new. So I was driving the BMW and my husband was driving the new car. And, and because that was my wish was to have this old banger, we got to the services and I was like, hey, swap over, go and pick up the boys. My sons at that time were like 19, 16 and 13, I think, go and pick them up. Um, show them the new car they'll love that and I'll ride the other one and go to the supermarket so that was all fine um and we got onto the dual carriageway so it's like a two-lane road quite fast seven o'clock at night dark January um and all the power went out of my car just literally no power wow. and I'm obviously not in the lane that I should be in I'm in the fast lane and I was like oh, what do I do so I managed to drift the car over to um 
to the side of the road. Now, it only had a half of a hard shoulder. So, so I was some on the grass and some on there, but I was off the road enough for cars to go past me. Sometimes a little bit, you know, the, the lorries would go past and your mirror would rock. And I was like, oh, okay. But I was absolutely fine. I was really calm. Um, so I phoned my husband. And I said, I don't know what's happened. Maybe we've run out of petrol because mechanically the car was sound for all that time. Yeah. So he drove around, went and got some fuel, came and pulled up behind me. And he pulled up about two car lengths behind me. And it was January. And I was like, what are you doing so far away? But I jumped out to go to the petrol cap because in my, I don't know now if I even knew how to open the petrol cap because it was a new car. Yeah. I must have thought I did. I must have done. But I, so I went and that was on the side where the road was. Oh, no. And as I looked at his car, the car drove into the back of him. So it was boom, straight into this BMW and shunted it forward. And I remember looking thinking, okay, that bus is just shunted forward. It looks okay. But then the car didn't stop. It had curled around his car. I didn't know at the time it had lost a wheel. It had been ripped out of the axle. So he was on three wheels and was coming towards me. And I'm stood, you know, there's nowhere for me to go. There's literally nowhere for me to go. This is a busy road. This side and this is where I think the car's going to go. And I just thought, I'm going to die. And this is going to hurt. Um, and, I, and I stayed, like, I don't know how long. It feels like forever. And then something in my head said, no, I'm not. I'm not going. I'm not dying. I'm not going. My boy's not ready. They're not ready. Jake thinks he's old enough. They're not ready. And I'm not going. And somehow I randomly took two steps. And when the car hit, it hit exactly where I'd been stood. So those oh, two steps gosh. literally saved my life. I know. It was crazy. But then I still stood up. So I was like, okay, this isn't as bad as I thought. But I felt like I was on ice. My feet were slipping all over the place. And there's the car, the back end. So the car was up, like I could see the underneath of there. And I had like really long hair. So I remember seeing hair and it cuffed my shoulder and I spun and was winded and then fell onto all fours. And as I fell onto all fours, I could feel bits of the car on the road. And I looked to the left and realized I was in the road, in the dual carriageway. It spun me out into the road. And I was like, bugger, now I'm going to have to save myself again. <laughs> You're going to have to go again. Yeah. So I was like, so then I crawled to the side of the road on this, what I thought was a bruised leg. Um, and my husband at that point managed to get out of the car, screamed. My car by then had been flipped across the two lanes and was into the middle of the central reservation. So he's looking that way. Um, and so I heard him kind of scream like, well, the most horrific sound really, because he thought I was obviously dead. Um, and when I shouted at him, he was walking out into the dual carriageway himself. Oh. And I kind of just called him and I got to the side of the road, sat down and just said, I don't think I can stand up. And that was that. But bizarrely, I don't have any pain. I had broken this nail, just the tip, and I'd had a tiny cut here. And other than that, nothing. So I genuinely thought it was just bruised. I thought, it's bruised. And he's like, can you stand up? I can't stand up. Um, the other person came out of the car. And I was like, oh, I well, know it's hurt. So an ambulance came, took me to the hospital. Um, I don't know what they gave me. They put me on one of those body boards and stuff like that. And ironically, I'd also phoned my manager at the time and said, you might have to come and get me some petrol. And she, as she was driving home, she said she saw this traffic. Because what happened is somebody had stopped their van. So the reason I was okay when I was on the road is this guy had stopped his van and people had stopped behind him. Otherwise, they would, the traffic would just be carrying on coming and I didn't know. And she saw all this traffic and she was like, I oh, hope I haven't got to get petrol for Deb because... There's all this traffic without realizing that I was the person who was causing the traffic. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so when we got to the hospital, 
I was very much like, it's bruised, you know, and my, my son was like, it's not bruised, mum, it's really broken. And I was like, it's not, it's fine. Um, had all the x-rays and then they said, okay, it is, it is broken, we can operate tomorrow. So I got off to the ward and um, they were going to operate in the morning. So they did the whole like terrible toast at midnight and then you can have nothing more. Um, I don't know where they make the toast in the hospitals from because it's bendy, it's like rubber, but that's what I had. And it was terrible, honestly, it's like wherever that toast comes from, somebody needs to change that in in the hospitals. But I could could write a book about things in the hospitals that are bizarre. Um, So what basically happened is they said they're going to operate and then the next morning they said, actually, your leg is too swollen to operate. So I waited for the surgeons to come around. And, you know, at that time, I had hairdressing salon in a gym. It was very, very active. It wasn't a slim gym or anything like that. But, you know, I did body pump. I cycled to, to work. Sometimes pretended to do combat, just a little bit punching and holding my stomach. That's my did that. I thought you needed a bra for your stomach. I didn't realise that everything would move and that you would sweat. Um, but I had that. And I had a hair salon. Um, and, I, you know, that was my business. I, I had just recently taken over myself. So... So when they came to me and said, um, okay, well, you know, we can operate on your leg, but you're actually not going to be able to use it, I was gobsmacked, really. And I was like, yeah. no, that was silly. That can't don't be ridiculous. I was like, do you not know I've got a hairdressing salon? I'm in a gym. I need to use my leg. And they were just like, oh, okay. And they went, they walked away. And I just carried on my day thinking, I think I was just still in shock at that time. And then in the yeah. afternoon, they came back and they said, right, we've got a better idea. Um, you are going to be able to use your leg, but you won't be able to bend the knee. And I said to them, but I'm a hairdresser. You know, that's how I pay my bills. I need to be able to do this gym. This can't be right. This can't, you know, that, there must be, it's the wrong answer, basically. In my head, I was like, this is the wrong answer. So I was like, no, that's not how it happens. That's not how it works. There must be something else. Um, and then they came a third time. I think the next day, I don't remember what the offer was. And then they came a fourth time. And the fourth time, they were, like, really, really excited. Like, if you ever watch any medical program like Ray's where they can't wait to cut you open, genuinely, that's how it works. They were like, right, got a great idea. Um, and they said, we're going to be able to use the leg. You'll get some bend. We're not sure how it's going to work. But what we're going to do is take some bone out of your hip. We're going to um, make this little saucer. We're going to support all these bones that are smashed, put that back in going to dig deep into your hip so we can get all the good but and I was like oh okay I'm not a boiled egg stop talking about the digging deep do that that's been fine um, yeah but do that um and I just don't really know about it to be honest anyway a couple of days later I have the operation I wake up and I've got two plates and 22 screws in that one leg that I thought was bruised so how wrong was I wow. um and to be honest I thought all my knowledge of a broken leg was that you break your leg you have a cast, everyone signs it. Six weeks later, life just goes back to normal. That's what I thought a broken leg was. And obviously, I didn't even stand on that foot, that leg, for six months. Wow. I was non-weight-bearing for six months. So non-weight-bearing means you can't even put your foot down. Touch is like you can put your toe. So I didn't get to touch until July. Um, so that was quite tricky. When I had the hair salon in the gym, I suddenly didn't fit into my own life mm. at all. I would go to the gym, my friends would pick me up, take me to the gym, I'd have coffee and then drive me home. I'd go to the salon, they'd wash my hair and blow dry and put me back in the taxi. I just, they didn't know what to do with me. I didn't know what to do with me. Um, my husband was not coping um, as well as I did because for me, I was euphoric when I was in hospital. It's going to sound 
absolutely bananas but I was I was like I'm the luckiest person in the world you're alive yeah yeah so you know people would say to me oh my goodness what's happened to you and I was like don't worry about that you know I'm the luckiest person in the world support would be like oh what drugs have they got this one on um, and I'm like I should be in the morgue you know I should be in the morgue I'm not in the morgue I'm yeah. the luckiest person out of the two doors you know door a was pretty rubbish and door b was better so how can I moan this one when I could have had door a and I stayed like that, sickeningly, for at least a year. And I was very like, oh, it's Mother's Day. I shouldn't be here. It's Valentine's Day. I shouldn't be here. I'm like tearful. And my, I think my family wanted to literally euthanize me at some point and go, just be quiet. You're here enough type thing. It's crazy for him. Um, but my husband was completely the opposite because he didn't have that same scenario. So he was mm -hmm. really struggling, really angry, really kind of like wanting somebody to be responsible for it, wanting some some way to turn the clock back so that we didn't go and get the car, that it didn't happen, that he couldn't. Um, but that's his story to tell, really. So I can't yeah. really do that one, unfortunately. But it just was a, it, you know, it wasn't quite as hunky-dory. I was in the hospital, I think, for two weeks. Um, and actually, I'm not going to say I had a great time in the hospital because I didn't have a great time, but I was very, very well looked after. Um, I had quite a lot of clients in the hospital. So one of them treated me to the TV one of them came and talked to me. One of them, um, I'd cut his hair the week before and he came in and told me that if I needed a bedpan, he was the person to do it. And I was like, no, I'm getting no out of bed today. Yeah, I was like, that's not happening. We don't have that kind of relationship. Yeah. He's just like, I was, they put us all in these 90s. It was me and these three really old ladies on this ward, like the golden gals. Um, and they put us in these hospital 90s. So the day he came in, all four of us were institutionalized in these pink nasty nighties that were like little cotton nighties all three you know one didn't one ne one next to me didn't have a knee the other one was 91 and kept hopping out of bed and the other one was like in her 70s and had this toy boy in the 60s and had been brought up in india and was dreadfully posh and 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 that was my ward that i was on and so i was like, i'm the most broken one here um they put me to shame you know they kept hopping out of bed so when he came in and said i'm the person who's going to do your bedpan i was like uh -uh, no not on your life are you get me out um and they cut stuff off cut all your clothes off all the time when you've got a cage on your leg and you need to use the toilet or a bedpan whatever underwear you've got on they just got the scissors out of their pocket and they cut them off no matter what type i went for every type there is <laughs> every type i get sending my friends to the shop going try these and they just go snip we'll take them off for you it's just yeah. honestly the strange things that they don't have time for it yeah i'm just that. like okay fine this is what happens wow. um and then, so then I kind of went to the physio. I did the physio, I did all the stuff in my head. I just thought, if I do everything that they tell me, I will get back to where I was. And actually, that wasn't true. Um, but I fought really hard to try and get back. I got into, I got back behind my chair in hairdressing like nine months afterwards. Wow. And I told my manager when she came into the hospital the first day, um, tell my clients I was back in four weeks. And she kind of looked at my leg and went four weeks. I was like, okay, say five. Um, and we all knew it wasn't five. You're definitely like, a hopeful yeah. person. I know. I was a little bit positive, Pollyanna, there, wasn't I? <laughs> so I knew it wasn't going to be five. I thought it was going to be 12, maybe 12, but yeah. it, wasn't, it was longer than that. And then a year after that, they I went to see some doctors in London to be assessed for the long-term damage and thinking that I'd kind of beat this and I'd got it. And they told me I was going to be in a wheelchair in, at 55. And I was like, now I'm going to have to fight with this one. Now I've got to have another argument and box my way out of this situation because that's not happening to me. Um, 
so that's kind of I suppose that led to other stuff really you know what I the topic stepping into your power you've demonstrated that in so many ways this morning in this conversation I, suppose, I, even... <laughs> I, I just think I did what anybody else would do that's the thing this is one I never used to speak about this I do a lot now but I really was very much when people said to me wow that's a story and I was like but surely that's what everybody else would do everybody else would um you know if you're told you're going to be in a wheelchair surely you're going to argue with that and and apparently that's not the case some people go okay let's prepare for a life in a wheelchair mm-hmm. I actually last year was 55 and so that was the year that I should have been in the wheelchair and um, as we mentioned before I had a bit of a use it before you lose it mentality so that's why I signed up to cycle in India and do the the India challenge which was 360 kilometers on Indian roads which is craziness um and I think that was psychologically a little bit like if I'm not in that wheelchair I'm going to do it and if I if I have to be in a wheelchair another time then I've done something that I'm proud of yes well there's there's so many moments here you're talking about standing up for yourself right you you call it fighting for it but what a powerful way to take ownership of your own experience right Mm. not settling not just allowing the the people to to make the plan you know no that's not going to work the amount of times you sent the doctors back to the drawing board I love that like that is you saying no this is my life and I want another solution (laughs) give me something else right yeah well I don't believe in the word no I just think no means you're asking the wrong person that there is a yes somewhere so I, I like obviously I've reflected on this in the last couple of years and I'm like that's where that came in because I was like I don't like that answer you're giving me yeah. So go and find me somebody who's got a better answer than that. And then last year, I suddenly thought, God, what if I'd said yes the first time? What would my life have been like if I'd have just said, okay, you're the doctor, you know what you're doing. Yeah. But isn't and I'm not that saying that's a detriment of them. It's not, not a detriment of them because they're just doing the job, right? Yeah. Um, but imagine if I'd have just said yes, okay, that day. Yeah. It's quite scary. Yeah. and And – Imagine how that like links to being a people pleaser. So many times people just say yes mm. because they don't want to put others out. They don't want to make others feel bad or be upset with them, right? Yeah. You could have said yes. I just said, oh, you're the, you're the, you're the specialist. Yeah. Easily could have said, you're the doctor. You're Because I did conform after that because I very much was like, I had a physio. She's a brilliant physio. Um, and I was very, and again, I was really lucky because it was a car accident, a car had hit me. So the insurance company paid for a private physio. The insurance company paid for um, the leg brace that I had on on my leg was the one the hospital gives me. It's made of steel. It's very heavy. They paid for uh, carbon fiber. I was going to say microfiber, but that's a cloth, isn't it? Right? Carbon fiber. They paid for a carbon fiber one. So, and then they paid for the private physio. Little bits, little stuff. They, you know, they covered my taxes and stuff like that. So I was in a good position, but I... But my physio was very much like, do this, do this all weekend, bend your leg all weekend. And don't even care if it hurts, lift it from the knee. Don't lift it from the hip. And if it hurts, don't care. And I would do it and I would cry and I would go, I don't care. This is what she told me to do. Because I was so convinced that if for once I just did what I was meant to do without (laughs) arguing, without changing it, without shortcutting, it would work. And I would get back to where I 
where I was. I would have 100% recovery. That's what I expected. I also so I was, think that what you're saying, there's a, there's a link here between like you really knowing and feeling connected to the why behind what your physio was explaining, right? Mm -hmm. If you do this, you will get to this place, right? Yeah. And that was aligned with what you wanted versus taking the first option from the doctors wasn't aligned with what you wanted. No. Right? Because if I didn't like the answer, nobody would yeah. like that answer. But you liked the answer of your physio. So to me, yeah. that makes sense as to why you were like, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go all in. I mean, I didn't know that you could negotiate with the surgeons. I had no idea. I just thought, <laughs> well, here you go. Just said to them, I don't like this idea. And, and, and had they come back, maybe they'd come back and said, actually, do you know what? We talked to you this morning. We want to talk to you about this again. I probably would have thought of them another two times, I've got to be honest. I'm, I'm no way could I think that I'd accept it, but I might have accepted it the third or fourth time if they said that there is literally nothing else that you could do. Then I might have gone, okay, well, that's what you need to do then. But it wasn't. There was something different that they could do. Mm -hmm. And I've had um, 13 years of mobility that I shouldn't have had. So, again, I'm still the luckiest person in the world, hey? Yeah. Amazing. What a story. Well, Debbie, I want to thank you so much for being here today and, and sharing this so many incredible nuggets around stepping into your power and uh, even how you started at the beginning around the the idea of taking on other people's emotions and baggage and you called it uh emotional yuck emotional vomit, yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> vomit yeah it just uh, is you know that's that'll describe it in your head like oh yes so you can understand it you know yeah yeah it's not and really so a counseling term <laughs> you've you've been so wonderful today and i just am so grateful that you have spent this time here on the podcast with me thank you thank you so much for inviting me on it's it's really an honor to um to kind of just let people know that you matter we all matter yes yes love that message so i want to thank you again and to all of our people pleasers listeners thank you so much for tuning into this great episode and please stay tuned for the next episode coming soon have a wonderful day bye for now